welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, natter along trying to accentuate the positive and also to guess what my special guest's favourite things about this episode are. Hello, uh, my name's Stephen Hatcher. Uh, I'm the uh, coordinator of the Hoover's Doctor Who group based in Derby. And for the last 11 years, uh, I've been the organiser of the Hooverville Convention that we uh, we organise once a year in normal times. Uh, and for the last couple of years, we've also been organising Big Finish Day in conjunction with our friends at Big Finish. Over the years, I've done a bit of writing as well. Uh, I wrote five stories for Big Finish Short Trips books. Uh, recently, I've contributed a couple of pieces for Doctor Who magazine. And over the years, I've written any number of uh, pieces for charity anthologies and essay collections on Doctor Who and loads of other TV-related topics, including Star Cops, Cat Weasel, The Tomorrow People, Star Trek, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Douglas Adams, David Bowie, all sorts of stuff. And I'm also the fiction editor of the uh, Doctor Who Appreciation Society magazine Cosmic Mask. Well, thanks so much to Toby for inviting me to, uh, to to suggest a story for him to talk about. Toby, what I've got for you is The Sea Devils. Now, The Sea Devils is uh, something very special for me because this was the story that really turned me on to being a Doctor Who fan. Um, I'm old enough to have watched Doctor Who right from the beginning. Uh, I was born in 1958, but for various family reasons... Throughout the 60s, I saw very little Doctor Who. The first story I actually remember seeing anything of at all uh, is The Web Planet. Uh, and I've got vague memories of um, of the massacre, but uh, nothing very much at all during the 60s. Although, of course, I was very aware of it, the same as every child uh, growing up at that time was. And then uh, on December the 27th, 1972, uh, I caught the uh, omnibus edition of The Sea Devils. Um, and it absolutely hooked me. I loved the fact that it was set on Earth. Uh, that very much about that story was the sea setting of it. I loved the fact that uh, it was set, uh, well, at sea, basically. The sea's always been something that's meant a lot to me. Uh, I, I was brought up in Warwickshire, about as far away from the sea as you can get in England, on our small island. Uh, but to say I, I had a naval background is putting it a bit strongly but my dad was uh, he, before I was born he was a, a member of the he was, he was in, in the navy he was a, a regular uh, navy uh, person uh, serving on aircraft carriers and the rest of it and, and my brother and I as we were growing up we uh, always enjoyed my dad's stories about uh, his time in the Navy, uh, around about the time of the Korean War and, and that sort of business. So the Navy's always meant a lot for me. We, we loved our holidays to the seaside. Uh, uh, most were well, not every summer, but, but when we did go, we went to the seaside. And my dad seemed to very much light up when when he was inside of the sea. Um, yeah, he, he almost sort of turned into some sort of piratical figure as, as we've reached the sea. I think it's probably a bit silly, but there we go. My dad died early this year, so uh, uh, memories of him are very strong at the moment. So, the sea and the earthbound setting and all the rest of it absolutely got me hooked. I loved Pertwee as the Doctor. Uh, 
and I love Joe and and everything about this this fabulous story. Now, now people have told me that uh, the Sea Devils is nowhere near as good a story as the Silurians. That the, the the story that it got so much of its inspiration from. In many ways, it was a sequel to. Um, yeah, I, I hear what they're saying, but they're wrong. Um, yes, it's true that the uh, portrayal of the uh, the Earth reptiles, the, the Sea Devils, Silurians, call them what you want, uh, is much more nuanced and, I suppose, interesting in the, the earlier story, the Silurians. Um, and the Sea Devils were, I suppose, pretty much not hugely interesting in terms of what they were doing. They were They were blowing ships up they were they were doing what the master told them but but there we've hit the knob as to why this this story is 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 for me so much better than the earlier story the master you've got the mighty delgado in there at his very very best now the bizarre thing is when i came to see this story again many 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 years later i had very strong memories of the sea devils i saw it uh in the uh the, the repeat season of what would that be 1992 uh the the the, the, the as i remember it's sunday lunchtime repeats of uh, of of doctor who stories um and there was the sea devils and the one aspect of the story that i'd completely forgotten uh was the fact that the master was in it which is bizarre because he totally dominates the story and i'd forgotten he was in it hmm, there we are Right, okay, well, uh, if I can get on to my things that uh, I want to uh, say, I particularly um, remember, particularly love for each episode. Well, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to this episode of Happy Times and Places. Um, I'm happily ensconced on a Sunday bank holiday, and I'm going to watch some Sea Devils. Now, I'm not sure it's always right to date these because they come out quite a lot later if you're not a patron. Um, because actually the date should be immaterial because I'm watching old Doctor Who. But the reason I'm in a Sea Devil kind of mood is because two weeks ago today uh, the Sea Devils returned in present day Doctor Who looking very much like they do in this one. Uh, although dressed more piratically rather than in uh, string vests. Um, and... And I, I like both costumes, so there's no... Uh, I'm, I'm not comparing uh, costumes at all. I think both look great. Um, so I'd actually intended to do this particular adventure in the run-up to that, just for my own, because I was feeling sea devil and I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to watch I want to watch the original. Um, but then I just watched the original. What, what I'm about to commentate over, I just watched for pleasure, which is... Because <laughs> I have to remind myself sometimes, I like Doctor Who, and sometimes it's all right just to watch Doctor Who. So I, I'd, I'd geared it up all ready to do the commentary, and I thought, I'd, I'd actually just quite like to watch it. So watch it, I did. So I'm perhaps slightly more clued up than... So I was with the Dominators, which I, was the last story I did, which I hadn't seen for donkey's years. Um, but either way, um, I, I say that for full disclosure. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm uh, you know, preparing myself. To, that was a lovely introduction for Steve. I'm sorry to hear about his dad. I did know about that because we're Facebook friends. Steve is a, a lovely fella, uh, organises terrific events, and I'm so delighted um, he's, he's, he's chosen this story. Um, and it is apposite that we... Uh, do it uh, in, in, in this time where everyone is currently in <coughs> uh, sort of who 
fandom uh, discussing the merits or uh, otherwise of uh, the legend of the Sea Devils. And of course, actually, everyone's gearing up to the possible announcement of the new Doctor Who, which uh, non-patrons, when you hear this, will be old news. Well, I mean, Hugh Grant will have been to Gallifrey uh, by the time you listen to this. Um, uh, but uh, we are in the dark, so we're going to go underwater. Um to, uh, to encounter the marine cousins of the Silurians. A great story, that, as Steve suggested. I'm looking forward to doing Doctor Who and the Silurians. But uh, uh, we have its, its cousin, the Sea Devils, and we're going to press play in three, two, one. Um, uh, sorry, that's the, that's the name of my... <laughs> that's Alexa telling me that's the name of our... Um, speaker sausage magoo uh, oh I don't know why it's taking ages to load so this is exciting here we go uh, right Alexa volume 4 Alexa volume 3 um, okay so yeah I don't want to wake the neighbours with uh, <laughs> Delia Derbyshire's uh, best unearthly catawalls um, well I mean, I leave all that stuff in. Why not? Uh, I know a lot of podcasts that leave in ums and little segues that go nowhere. I love this opening, um, and I'm constrained by time. Uh, I have to fit this into the episode itself. I think this is a wonderfully economical opening. I was disappointed when I first saw it, when I first saw this as a grotty bootleg video. Um, we'll discuss that later. Um, uh, because the opening chapter of the book, The Sea Devils, has this great... A thing on the SS Pevensey Castle where there's a lieutenant called Mitchell is in a, and, and Sparks, the uh, the radio guy, and a guy called Scouse, who's presumably... Uh, and, and they have this whole thing, and I think the sea devil killed Mitchell first. And yet Mitchell is introduced as your... as your... Uh, you know, as your focal character. I think it's Mitchell. Well, I think David Griffin's character is Mitchell later. Maybe they use the name for the different characters. But anyway, it's a whole big epic, you know, monsters burn... Oh, and the, 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 that's, it's terrifying because the, 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 the sailors try to escape, but the sea devil burns the boats from underneath, which we get a, 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 an element of later on, but you actually see it happening in that opening chapter. And it's really grim. You know, these are monsters that attack you at sea, but they won't even let you off the boat that you're on, and they destroy the boat that you're on. There's no escape. It's an amazing opening. So, of course, but the, the money couldn't buy, certainly not Doctor Who in 1972 money couldn't buy uh, well strictly speaking it was made in 1971 um but i think just having one actor neil sailor who turns up later in uh, death to the daleks uh, michael bryant knew him quite well i think um just doing that we're under attack you know and he does that quite you know professionally and then just the hand uh, and the blur out of focus as he puts his hand to its face it's terrific what an opening when you can't do what the book can do and you've just got an actor and a green glove uh, and, uh, uh, you know, some I imagination as to what to do with your camera. I think that's as good a cold opening of Doctor Who uh, as as you could possibly have. I, I do wonder why all the moustaches, the guards have moustaches. I don't know. Must, you know, uh, A-level in pr prisoner etiquette, uh, B-tech in uh, sharpshooting, uh, and uh, city and guilds in moustaches. Um, I I I love this as well. I love the I love the whole thing about Trenchard, 
but he's you know he's quite rude to them there but then he's not rude when he speaks to them you know he's not a rude character but he does rude things because that's what people in authority do it, you know it would have been sort of less surprising if he'd then been really brusque and unpleasant with them but it's not it's just the thing that he does is he makes people wait there's a brilliant bit later with the with the gulf when he says in conference um clive morton who ah i think you'll find uh, i'm going to point you to a mistake in a previous seeds of death last time i'd looked i'm sure in a theater book or something or a character actor's book um i'd read that hugh morton from the seeds of death was clive morton from the sea devils his brother and it wasn't a doctor who book it was something else um and i mentioned that fact in the seeds of death commentary it's not true i don't think it's true i've done a little bit i just suddenly had a because you know when you learn something and you think it's true you don't you don't bother to check you know years later go i wonder if that was a mistake but well I, I do sometimes. <laughs> so I did. And and they do look quite similar. But uh, they've got a similar sort of domed forehead. But um, no, they're not. They weren't brothers. Um, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, I would go and re-edit the past. But um, oh, let somebody glory in my uh, erroneousness. So my history with the Sea Devils is uh, an interesting one. I, I loved the... Um, I love the Chris Achilleos book cover uh, and it was one of those that sort of leered at me from I think the back of the making of Doc, the Doctor Who monster book that I had um, but we did not have the Sea Devils book but my brothers had talked of it so maybe they did at some point and had lent it to somewhere so I, I actually bought it from the castle bookshop in Ludlow uh, but was disappointed because it's the John Geary cover which which have very much their own style and are very good um, but it's not the Chris Achilleos one, which I just think is glorious. And, and there's something slightly musty about it. The, the Geary one was sort of shinier. Uh, and, and, and Yeah, just, just somehow shinier, I think, the material that the book was made of. And, and, but just the whole vibe. Um, whereas the Chris Achilleos one is sort of... I associate it with those dusty... That does, I can feel it now, the dustiness of those books and the smell of them. Slightly older, slightly more sort of papery and cardboardy and... Uh, uh, and, and that's a very good scene because it's basically establishing, you know, the master is locked up safe. Don't worry about it. There's there's nothing going on here. He's definitely a prisoner. And that's a great that's a great way for Trenchard to convince, uh, you know, the doctor and Joe that it's all as it should be. Um, so I got the Sea Devils book. I'm really excited um, and then found it quite hard going. I found all the Malcolm Hulk books quite hard going. Um they, they were just not quite as accessible to me as the, the Terence Dix ones. But bear in mind, I started reading these when I was too young to be reading them, really. Um, I think we all did, didn't we? Uh, and I, I don't think I quite took everything in. And it's how I learned to read. Um, but, you know, Dix was my gateway drug into literature. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, when they were no longer satisfying me, that's when I... That's when I... Uh, <laughs> that's, that's when I... I'm trying to think of a, 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 a phrase, but do you jack up drugs? That's when I jacked up the Hulk. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but I remember even then when I read this, I remember missing. I, th I think I read the opening, which is great with Mitchell on the boat. But then the bit with the Doctor and Joe going towards the Master's prison wasn't really for me. Um, I wanted to get into the action, uh, so I so I skipped that bit. Although I do remember there's a bit where he he, he explains Mayday. And what Mayday means, it's Doctor Who fulfilling its uh, educational remit. And, uh, and, I, and I did French at school, so it's like, oh, Mayday, Mayday, oh, that's good, I like that. Now, I don't know if I 
picked that up the second time I read it and went, ah, oh, that's why I should read these opening bits. Well, I've got a feeling that's sort of when I gave up and I went, yeah, this is this is fine and everything, and I'm happy that I'm learning this stuff, but I I want to get to the Sea Devils. Um, so I did I did miss the first couple of chapters, and of course I went back and read it later. Um, but much of what I think of this story is shaped by that book that I remember so well. You know, I remember the the, the great disappointments with the bits that weren't in it. I think I've even illustrated a, a a podcast about the Target books using the Sea Devils as an example. I think, is it Rob Shearman that does it in the Doctor Who magazine had a, you know, a series of sort of author's takes on a, you know, fan fan writer takes on each particular story. Everyone wrote a little essay uh, concentrating on one aspect of it. And I'm sure it was Rob that, that did the bit about, you know, Trenchard's safety catch, which we'll talk about in episode four, where it doesn't happen. <laughs> but lots of beautiful little bits. All the bits that kind of spoke to you from the book were not in the TV version. Now, of course, that's not the TV version's fault, because when this is being made, the book did not exist. And it's the same writer, and he's just, you know, he's he's amusing himself, or he's, he's you know, he's adapting to the new medium, which is... Um, absolutely legitimate and brilliant and it means we've got sort of two versions of this story but it means that this version always came a bit short for me especially when it came in that period where I was sort of devouring you know bootleg Doctor Who's at quite a steady pace just to sort of get get them watched and I was borrowing them off friends and and, and, and as Steve suggested you know Doctor and the Silurians is, is very highly regarded and season seven is a favourite of people like me uh, and as a result, I was always then a bit... I think the season seven stories in execution were less disappointing because I think the production values are so strong because of the seven episodes and all of that than, and, and slightly more sort of gritty and adult in Doctor Who terms in intent than, than the Lex, Let's Hulk stuff. So, yeah, which are slightly more kooky and 70s and, and, and sort of child-friendly, I'd say. Um, so I had, I, 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 I had a bit of a downer on the Pertwee era for quite a while, just that it was none of the stories quite, were quite as good as I'd hoped. And it was only when this was repeated in the 90s and they did a gorgeous trailer, which I think is one of the loveliest bits of Doctor Who. It really made you want to watch. It had a, a, a bit with the Master and the Clangers, and it had the bit of Neil Sealer with his hands on his face, and and, and, the, uh, and, and it had the burnt boat. It was a, It's a really, really well-put-together trailer um, that really got my Doctor Who juices going. And I watched it in excellent quality for the first time. Um, you know, restored and well-known, yeah, I don't, but, but certainly not from bootleg. Uh, and it came much more alive to me. It was much more exciting. And I think Michael Bryant's superb camera work where he's got these wonderful close-ups of the actors' faces. Um, and there's some brilliant close-ups here. He loves Delgado's face. This, look at that. And, and that's where the trailer started. Could have another television colour, of course. And, and it's just, it's just, it just shows the sort of hold that the master has over Trenchard, even though, as it turns out, he's not hypnotised him or anything. It's just a, it's a psychological hold. It's a manipulative hold, but that, and those close-ups really help with that. Uh, and a pair of lovely actors doing nice work. This is Royston Tickner, who'd yelled his way through episode seven of the Daleks' master plan. He's Steinberger P. Green, the uh, P. Green. I've just got that joke. 
Oh God, um, Steinberg and Pete Green, um, the uh, the director of the film in the Daleks Must Plan episode seven, so we can hear him on the soundtrack yelling. Um, but uh, he uh, he was a friend of Michael Bryant. Great duffel coat, by the way. You don't see duffel coats like that enough anymore. Uh, and was indeed a man of the sea. So good casting for this. I wonder if Royston hadn't been available if Richard Beale would have done it. Because Richard Beale, who's Bat Masterson in the Gunfighters and uh, he's in the Green Death and the Ark. He does voice work in the Ark of the Macro Terror, uh, who's also a man of the sea. I wonder if Richard would have got the part because uh, Michael used him a lot too. Um, and I love this bit. And I remember this bit being in the book, isn't it? Where basically they both <laughs> they both bribe Royston. Robins to to use to use. I wonder if there'd been a TARDIS crew of four. You know, so Doctor takes takes. Does the Doctor take the the, the boat? Yeah, Joe jo takes the motorcycle. You know, if if it, if it had been the Doctor and Yaz and Graham and Ryan, with you know, does the Doctor takes the boat? Yaz takes the motorcycle. Graham takes his roller skates, and uh, and, and Ryan goes on piggyback. Um, but it's a nice little touch. It's, I love this about because uh, it always surprises me in the Pertwee era how many you know now when you I think certainly later when you wrote a four part Doctor Who story a six part Doctor Who story your actors did you for the six episodes you tried to have characters that would that would uh, you know last last pretty much through it's a better use of resources you know the, a lot of the Pertwee story have a sort of cast of stories have a cast of thousands there are loads of sort of characters who pop in just for one or two episodes and it gives it a much bigger scope but it also means you can have fun with the different people you're populating your story with and Robbins I mean he's only on film as well so probably only a day out of Royston Tickner's life um uh you know to to, to pop in and and you know have a nice little bit of interaction with the the regulars so we have Edwin Richfield doing what on earth, uh, yeah, having to do, uh, you know, official acting. Oh, look at the look at the sea, isn't it beautiful? I mean, the the scope we're afforded as well by we'll see, you know, lots of Royal Navy help being given, but 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 the sea setting is lovely as well, uh, especially coming, although this was made before, but hot hot on the heels of the Curse of Peladon, which is you know entirely studio based. And here's June Murphy, who for years nobody knew where she was because she's really called Laura. Um, and she wasn't getting any uh, any residuals either from Doctor Who, but she was married to Brian Cullingford, who she met on the set of Fury from the Deep, in which they were both actors. So both of her Doctor Whos are to do with the sea. Um, Michael Bryant was a AFM or a production assistant on... Uh, on uh, on Fury from the Deep, so maybe he associated June Murphy with the sea, which she has to walk into in Fury from the Deep. So she's Maggie Harris in uh, Fury from the Deep, uh, which was my favourite story when I was young. Uh, so we'll go into that when we do Fury. Um, uh, it was the first story I knew the whole cast list of, and of course because it was missing, its you know its reputation was untarnishable. Uh, and of course it sounded good to say when people said, what's your story? And you said something that people didn't expect. Um, but I genuinely, I mean, I listened to it over and over again. Anyway, so that's why the Sea Devils had a, 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 a nice little connection for me to the to the story that was my favourite. Uh, oh, isn't this just one of the most glorious bits? Delgado is so pitch perfect and that little charming whistle he does and the fact that he enjoys it. I love the fact that the, the master is, is slightly taken by these creatures. And then Trenchard's reaction is delightful. Um, it's it's this whole interaction is not necessary to the story at all. 
and the look on Delgado's face when he comes to turn the telly off is just glorious. And there's a man who knows exactly where the camera is. Uh, I love that. It's one of my favourite things. That's good. If that's not the favourite thing of the episode, uh, Steve and I, my perhaps I'm going to get on. Um, I mean, isn't it's just wonderful every time. It, it's it's got a little bit of character to it. It's very funny. It's actually rather charming. Both characters are charming. The master's charming. This you know. Uh, psychopathic evildoer rather taken with a children's television program and genuinely so you know um uh, uh and and trenchard's you know absolutely sort of guileless uh acceptance that 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 the master might think that they're really aliens because you shouldn't you shouldn't think uh, trenchard watches much television he's too busy reading books about the empire um it's just glorious. This is a wonderful opening episode because you've had the twist that... Well, first of all, you've seen something get lost at sea. Um, it was supposed to be an oil rig, wasn't it? This, And they weren't, they didn't get permission to shoot on an oil rig, so they used the sea fort, um, uh, which are very, very, very handy, and they're great. They're great-looking things. I think you can live here now. Not here. This is the studio. But I think you can live in the sea forts now if you have billions of pounds. Um these are two wonderful character actors. Hugh Futcher, uh, his only episode of Doctor Who. He's been in everything. He's in the movie of Quatermass and the Pit. Uh, he's in the Carry On films. Uh, he was in The Crown recently. He was in a Specsavers advert. Uh, proper sort of fussy little character actor. Can turn his hand to everything. And uh, he, he does one episode of Doctor Who, and it's this one. But he did audition to play the seventh doctor so they obviously wanted sort of a funny little character actor uh, if he didn't audition he was certainly seen i think i think nathan turner went to see him in the theater i don't know if they actually got him in and spoke to him um i have interviewed uh hugh i'm sure he, he, he i can't it was a while ago um and for patreon listeners uh the very next release after episode one of the sea devils will be my interview with hugh futcher uh, so if you would like to be a, a, a patron, you get some you get some extra goodies, and also they will have listened to this uh, six months earlier than you currently are. So uh, you'll know how the whole imminent World War Three thing has gone. Well, let's hope you are listening to it. That's all I can say. Um, Edwin Richfield is is great. You need a sort of brigadier. Well, you don't need to be, but but he's a nice he's a he's a brigadier sort of figure. But you know, butts against the Doctor slightly more in these uh, in in these earlier sections, which is nice. Richfield is also a Quatermass alumnus. He's also in the film of Quatermass in the Pit, uh, but is also in the film of Quatermass too, playing a different part. Uh, he lived not from me. I remember when he he died. It was in the Shropshire Star. Uh, I've I've still got the cutting somewhere. I used to cut those things out of the papers. It was only sixty six. That seemed quite old then. But now you think sixty six. That's no age. And I think yeah, he had a wine shop in some somewhere sort of Shropshire, uh, near the Welsh border somewhere. Uh, um, and also plays you wouldn't know you wouldn't know from looking at him Mestor in the Twin Dilemma, where I believe from some people on the set of that he was not a happy bunny uh, because. Uh, uh, I think he probably gave quite a good villainous performance in rehearsal, so then turns up to the studio and he's covered in a terrible costume that he can't move in. And Hugh Futcher is joined on the oil rig in these wonderful... Um, both wearing those sorts of jumpers you only wear on an oil rig in TV programmes. I love them. They're really evocative. Um, 
by Declan Mulholland, who uh, had a similar ignominy to Edwin Richfield, except he didn't have to wear a horrible monster costume. His, his monster scene was cut, and then when it was put back into Star Wars, he was replaced by a CGI Jabba the Hutt, because he was the humanoid Jabba the Hutt. I love that uh, shot of Hugh Futcher going up the ladder and the clanking, the sound design in this episode is superb the sound the echoing clanging sounds that you get of the of the metallic infrastructure of the of the sea fort is fabulous and you get i i can feel the cold in the air i can hear the echoes i think it's it's sort of above and beyond the call of duty sound work and that's a fantastic shot from above the ladder uh and there's and the lighting is great as well it's a wonderful synthesis of of all the things that uh you know the bbc do do well if uh, you know if everyone's putting their mind to it. And Hickman's dead with his eyes open, uh, which is uh, which is always uh, you know because it was always you know you'd know someone was dead in a TV thing if their eyes were closed. It was always a bit scarier if their eyes were open somehow. Um, and of course we haven't properly seen the sea devils yet in the book. We see them straight away there. We've seen the hand. We just saw the side of his face then. And I always assumed that the reveal of the sea devil was the cliffhanger even after I'd seen it for the first time. And I remember being surprised in the repeat when you actually get a shot of the sea devil a bit before the cliffhanger and you go, oh God, where have we got to go now? And the, and the cliffhanger sort of comes out of nowhere. It's interesting. Um, stop saying interesting, Toby. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is a, if Horatio, oh yes, Horatio Nelson. Um, although I remember watching this at, university and a friend of mine who's now a very good actor who does works quite a lot um was was slightly mocking of uh, uh richfield's delivery here the uh what does he say more poor fellows mad as a hatter but i i think that's perfect you know it's it's the sort of thing you wouldn't get to do now because people don't sort of talk to themselves so much uh you know, in the in, in in the coda to a scene, it's a sort of piece of televisual grammar that we don't do anymore. And you'd probably do with a look. I think it's charming, and I think it's quite fun. And 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 I think uh, 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 Richfield is it well. Now here's Stuart Fell playing Joe Grant, uh, wigg wiggling, in, 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 and and yeah, looking downwards a little too often. Um, but uh, that's always the uh, he, he, there's 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 a there's, there's there's an anecdote, isn't there, about about Stuart wiggling in a feminine way to be Joe Grant. He abseils, I think they they abseil, don't they, down a down a cliff later as well. Um, but yeah, look, the, the darkness here and the, and and I think I think the, now the music. We will probably talk about a lot, but this is great, isn't it? Again, a time just the shot of the hand, and there's something about the fact that it's wet, and you see that water dripping down. I think that's great. I think that's super. It's really creepy. Economical is a word I will use a lot, but it but it really is. There's so much that's happened in this episode, considering where we started with the destruction of that boat. We've been to see the master, and we've had quite a sort of you know a a, a charming. Uh, uh, series of exchanges between the doctor and the we get the stuff about the capital punishment which is very very interesting the the doctor advocating for the bastard's life which uh you know when you think about it i mean i'm ag i'm against the death penalty myself but i have to have to accept that the doctor uh this doctor's squeamishness about it has led to the deaths of many many other people uh, <laughs> um 
and and, the, and now the boat's gone and that was the end of the trailer i think when they come and look out of the window and that's a you know that's a clever design and directorial choice that we can see the exterior of the window to give us a connection with what's going on outside and there's the close-up of the sea devil it's a fantastic design and i think that i think the string vest is a good augmentation the, the legend goes that michael brandt the director saw the design and went I'm not having naked monsters so costume designer Maggie Fletcher had to hurriedly assemble something and she thought well maybe they dressed themselves with you know nets found at the bottom of the sea or, or whatever it's a it's a you know it's a a, a a reasonable decision to have made and I think it works I think it looks excellent um, so we've had the close-up that you think was going to be the cliffhanger and then you have this really interesting kind of cheat and you I mean, you you can hear that it's Declan Mulholland breathing, but I think only that's because I've seen it a gazillion times. I think it's uh, it, whatever it is. But even if as a kid you work it out, you go, no, no, it's the other guy. Um, that's part of the fun because there's nothing like being a kid and going, oh no, I know what that is. So I get it's it's an unusual cliffhanger, but I I, I think the way that it's shot with the shadow and the light and all of that um, really really works. Really works. Declan Mulholland and Hugh Futcher get a, a credit on the same slide and and they are both uh wonderful uh character actors and brian justice who played the guard uh that was being hip, failed to be hypnotized is also he, he must have excelled in guarddom because he's uh captain yates's guard in uh the famously grammatically mangled uh, uh credit yates guard in uh, the green death also directed by um michael e bryant so mike bryant like to use the same people sound and lighting mike jeffries mike jeffries died a couple of years ago actually and tony millier who i've interviewed uh both i think excel and tony snowden the designer um he also did vengeance on varus he died relatively recently too what a shame um i think that triumvirate done fantastic fantastic work so um uh, uh, um uh, so um that is the end of episode one of The Sea Devils, which I think is a terrific instalment of Doctor Who. They cover so much ground. It has moments of charm. It's got a wonderful you know, sort of new location, the, you know, the seaside, the naval base, all of that. You know, Michael Bryant takes takes makes great use of, uh, you know, this this particular setting which you know is it makes a break from uh, you know either the grounds of unit hq or as we you know we've just seen in the the, the season um the, the you know entirely studio bound curse of peladon so it's a it's a great new setting for the for the viewer at the time um all that stuff with the, the master and the doctor and joe is lovely the stuff with the master and trenchard is great and that set up a a really interesting dynamic that's taking the story of you know what's happening with these these missing boats and these uh, you know only slightly glimpsed uh, sea beasts to, and and some lovely directorial touches some fun bits of character work and you know it's visually interesting with the um you know the way it's shot but also you know all the guards have moustaches the the castle cars are citrons with the doors taken off <laughs> um I, I we we'll get into that in another episode i'm sure um so what does steve hatcher think i am gonna choose of course i am i'm going to choose the master watching the clangers trenchard's reaction to that uh, and the master's reaction to trenchard's reaction i think that is so charming so witty so beautifully acted 
doesn't really need to be there and yet it would be a lesser episode without it. I love it to pieces. And I could have chosen all sorts of other things. I could have chosen that wonderful clanging echoey sound design in, in the sea fort. Uh, I could have chosen just the glimpses of the monster. I could have chosen that opening scene, which I think is terrific. I love the fact that Captain Hart's coming on, you know, pulling on his coat because he's been in bed, you know. That, that suggests that it's nighttime. It just, again, makes it slightly real. Um, or, yeah, all full of wonderful little touches. Um, and it's exciting and it's interesting. And, and you know, Malcolm Hulk is a, a very human writer. So I believe all of the people. Uh, but it's got to be the clangers. Don't, don't drop this one, Steve. I'll start with episode one. And for episode one, what I've uh, picked upon is uh, the setting of No Man's Land Fort. What a superb location that is. It's a, it's a early 19th century, mid 19th century sea fort in the Solent off Portsmouth. Um, and what a wonderful location for a Doctor Who story. I love that idea of the, the, the isolated artificial island. Um, it's something that uh, during normal times uh, I see every summer because we, we, we tend to go uh, on the ferry from Portsmouth out towards France and I always look out for the sea forts, in particular No Man's Land Fort. It's there just as you're leaving uh, Portsmouth Harbour. Uh, and I always look out for sea devils, but I've never seen any yet. Uh, as as we speak, I believe the the forties and and the other forts in that little group are uh, on sale. So if anybody is a multi-millionaire and and um, fancies spending a bit of their money on uh, on a brilliant Doctor Who location, then No Man's Land Fort uh, in the Solent, go for it. And that's my thing for episode one. Ah, well, it is, and it is a great location. It wasn't even one of the things that I mentioned, but I'm geography and buildings are not my strong point, so they're not what I gravitate towards, which is a failing of mine. Um, uh, but I, I still, even though I love it, and it is an excellent location, and, uh, and it looks fantastic on camera, and it allows for all sorts of uh, dramatic uh, potential, as we'll see. And it's and, and again, it, you know, this has this this story considering much of the unit era is quite similar looking it gives it its own visual uh, flavor which i like um i was never going to not choose the clangers i wonder if steve might choose that as his bonus thing um but uh, i'm i'm an unapologetic uh clangers lover in this I, give me the clangers over the locations anytime give me whistling over geography anytime uh, <laughs> give me blue string soup over bricks and mortar any time and map references um but i ah look i loved watching that for pleasure the other day i loved watching that for scrutiny today um i hope you enjoyed being with me to get a glimpse of the sea devils uh, we'll see more of them in all their glory in the subsequent episodes but thanks to steve hatcher uh love who as i record this has just hosted another big finish day um I couldn't do it because I was doing and I couldn't go. I mean, because uh, I was doing a another uh, a Nigel Neal centenary in 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 London, but uh, he organises brilliant events uh, in Derby, um, and as I say, is a, is a top fellow. So uh, I'm very pleased to have him contributing to this, and I hope our differing perspectives bring you some enlightenment and or entertainment. Okay. Uh, that's the end of the first episode so uh, I'm going to wrap this uh, audio up 
put it in a bottle and throw it out there and see uh, if you like it when it washes up. Thanks very much. Ta-ta. Thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest this time around is Steve Hatcher. He can be found on Twitter at Stephen, with a PH, underscore Hatcher. Stephen underscore Hatcher. And what a lovely fellow he is. Thanks to him and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible and keep them ad-free. And they include Brian Sinclair, Paul Gibbons, Pete Lack, Andy John, Paul Hayes, Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Ronald Hayden, Rob Leonard, Christopher Meredith, Richard Straw, Nick Tedston, David, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Carrington, Paul Cook, Richard Chalk, Peter Crocker, Rob Dawson, and John Deere. The music is by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to become a patron, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Toby You get advance releases, you get bonus material, and you get various other little bits of interaction, including monthly Ask Me Anythings and uh, photos of my dog, um, which may not sound like it, but they're amongst the most popular things I do. And I only did them because there was nothing out on a Tuesday. Anyway, um, I know times are tough. Um, so if you can't submit yourself to a monthly model, you could, if you were feeling flush at any point and uh, particularly enjoyed a, a, a particular episode of this, you could go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and do a one-off payment uh, of any amount that you like. The patrons, you can also get 10% off if you sign up for a year. So thank you. Of course. Um, financial aid is not always possible and I know times are really really tricky but what costs you nothing is to go to iTunes and to give these five stars that would be really helpful really helps to separate these from the crowd and a couple of lines of review as well gives something for passers-by to read to give them an angle on what they might like about this Um, and also what I really urge you to do if you're a listener in the United States of America or Australia or Canada um I need more listeners there. I don't have enough. So tell your friends. They might like it. Uh, I normally plug excess malarkey at this point, but comedy, live comedy is in a parlous state, so I don't know if it's going to be here in six months' time. I do hope so. We're 25 years old. It's my comedy club. 25 years old in September. 2022. I've been doing it for more than half of my life. Um, what I've been doing today is cursing the world because I was talking to my mum on the phone. I thought I'll multitask. I'll do the washing up whilst I talk to my mum on the phone. And suddenly she and my phone disappeared under uh, the water. And so, of course, I immediately did what you're supposed to do, which put it in some rice. And then I looked online. It said, oh, no, turn it off. You'd want to turn it off. And you definitely don't turn it back on. So I turned it off. So I was doing the right thing. And then I looked on another website and it said, oh, yeah, but, um, you know, after you've turned it off, before you put it in the rice, just make sure you, you know, you you bat it out. And you, you you bat it so that, you know, any any moisture falls out of any crevices. And I thought, well, I haven't done that. We'll put it in the rice. I did sort of dry it. But, yeah, let's let's bat it to do the crevice. So I took it out and, and I sort of batted it. And, and in so doing, I just caught the on button. Normally it takes me bloody ages after to press really hard to turn it on. They turn the bloody thing on. 
So I'm hoping that hasn't destroyed my phone. I've got 48 hours of it in a bag of rice. And and because it said, oh, no, you definitely don't turn it on because that was short. So I didn't turn it on, but it did get turned on and I was involved. So I suppose I did turn it on. But I'm, I'm sort of telling the fates it wasn't my fault. I was doing the thing it said. On. I wasn't trying to turn it on. Um, anyway, it's amazing how mentally fraught you get so attached to this i've got i've got a backup I'm, and i'm not going anywhere i'm here on my computer um you know i can get messages on this and i'm not incommunicado but by god I'm just, it's like it's another limb it's like somebody's chopped a limb off uh this is a horrid I, I mean, you'd think i'd learn but this has happened before and what it means is i have a really stressful couple of days i then see if the phone still works um it didn't last time if it's not the first time it's fallen into water the last time it was because i had it out in a in a kitchen a mobile kitchen and we were using it as a as, as the disco you know it got the music on it uh, and and it was playing the music and it and throughout the night it sort of vibrated and so moved to the edge it was in a cup to, to because that makes it echo a bit more it makes it like speakers and it, and it gradually got to that and then just sort of fell out and landed below it into a pint uh, or into a sink or something it certainly it did a maneuver that uh, would in many other circumstances not been possible to do and um, but that one I did turn off and on in order to you know impatiently see if it still worked or not but um yeah anyway so i don't know why i'm telling you that it's because you're my it's because you're my confessional dear post credit listener to th- this blatherer to a um so i've had a rotten i've had a really annoying day um and i'll better stop because actually my next podcast is due out for patrons right now i normally release them at midnight uh and i haven't quite finished the edit of uh, uh the latest edition of Indefinable Magic, which got a few technical glitches in, so I've had to re-record some sentences. So I better go and do that, eh? Um, so that that release is going to be a little late, but it is a bank holiday Monday, so I'll forgive myself. Anyway, I hope you're all well with your working phones. <laughs>